From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Some joy to start today's show in a place where joy is harder to come by these days. Nursing homes are closed to visitors because residents are so vulnerable to COVID-19. Group activities are canceled. But country singer Pickin' Peggy of Fruta still manages to entertain residents, streaming from her bathroom. It's always been a bright spot in my day and in their day when we see each other. And I just want to make sure they know that they're still thought of and loved. Happy birthday, Pam. Also coming up, the scene right now at the state's largest hospital. And later, while you're staying at home, why not spend some time in the garden? And if you don't have a garden, tending to houseplants. Our master gardener answers your questions. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're going to begin with a moment of joy in a place where joy is harder to come by these days. Residents of nursing homes are particularly vulnerable to COVID-19, older people together in close quarters. As a result, group activities are canceled and visits from friends and family are banned, which is why country singer Peggy Malone of Fruta, Colorado, has had to change her approach. Normally, she performs in nursing homes, but these days, she's become a bathroom balladeer. Happy birthday, Pam. Your uncle John and your aunt Kim in Canada said it's your birthday and that you're a very young grandma. And I saw your picture and you are. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pam. Happy birthday to you and many more. Hey, I'm going to do a little bit of a cowboy sweetheart just for you, okay? I want to be a cowboy sweetheart. I want to learn to rope and ride. This is from a Facebook video she made at home to ensure her audiences can still hear her while they're locked down in their rooms. The 76-year-old also does live performances from her powder room via video chat. And Peggy Malone, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Let's get one obvious question out of the way. Uh, Why your bathroom? (laughs) Oh, very good acoustics. And that way I don't get to hear my husband's TV blasting in the other room. <laughs> I see. Is there a lot of tile? I know that's what makes my shower sound really good when I sing. Actually, uh, no tile, just plastic floor and, you know, one of those insert type showers. I understand you approach this like you would a live performance. You get all gussied up, is that right? Matter of fact, I got dressed just to be in the mood today. You bet. Got my hat on, my scarf and my vest. Yep. It it makes me feel more in contact with my buddies. Is that a cowboy hat? Oh, yes. A cowboy hat. And what about boots? Well, I usually have them on, but I don't because they'd make sounds if I was walking around like I do. (laughs) And describe (laughs) uh, a shirt you might wear for a bathroom performance. A Western. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely Western. Yeah. And try to be colorful because the residents like a lot of color. And a scarf around my neck that kind of goes with everything else, you know. (laughs) Are you in the bathroom now, Peggy? Yes, don't get personal. Oh, Oh, right. Why did you feel it was important to continue to entertain nursing home residents during this kind of shutdown? Oh, because I love them dearly and and it's very hard on them. It's always been a bright spot in my day 
and in their day when we see each other. And I just want to make sure they know that they're still thought of and loved. And music lightens the heart. It really does. At a time, I think, when hearts are heavy, huh? Yes, exactly. There's one little lady that her daughter always comes in to see her every day, does her hair and her nails, and her own daughter can't even come to see her. So she was pretty special when we did a a live Zoom show for her just the other day, which we plan to do again. Oh, I see. So you're doing videos that are on your Facebook page, but you're also doing live Zoom connections like so many of us. Exactly. The ones that can handle the Zoom. I'm doing that also. <laughs> and it, it's something new. I mean, I'm learning some new stuff here, and it's pretty darn fun. That is the technology. You're learning the technology. I am. Had you heard of Zoom yourself? I had vaguely heard of it, but it's now a much more central part of my life. Wow. Well, it's new to me, and if you could see the faces of the people I can actually connect live with, it is just, it's just a super way to connect. And the smiles, and she apologized. This one little lady apologized for her hair. Imagine that. I said, don't worry about it. I said, let's just have fun, you know? Now, when you're recording for Facebook, right, which doesn't have Mm -hmm. the immediate connection of the Zoom. Yes. When it's just you and that bathroom mirror, I guess, how hard is it without the human contact? It's not hard. It's not hard because um, I know who's going to be looking at it. I pretend they're there. (laughs) Music just comes out. Just comes out. (laughs) It just comes out. What are some of the songs you've been singing in recent days? For the uh, nursing homes, yeah, they love the old western songs, and Paven like back in the saddle again because it reminds them of when they were kids, Aww. and they used to watch Gene Autry on TV and Roy Rogers, and they're not that much older than me anymore, <laughs> so they they know all the songs I know, and they love old Hank Williams. Oh, they love Hank and Johnny Cash and Patsy Cline. Uh, yeah, it tugs at their heartstrings. Give me a few bars of Back in the Saddle again, would you? Oh, 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 wow. I gotta get, can I get my guitar? Well, sure. Okay, hold on. Don't go away. All right, uh, folks. You're, you're listening to Peggy Malone of Fruta live from her bathroom getting her guitar. Lots more to the song. A quickie. Yeah, the sound isn't great over the phone. I imagine the Zoom and the Facebook Live is much clearer, but I appreciate that. We got to hear a few bars there. You are known for sing-alongs. Do you think people sing along to the recordings they're receiving? I really do. I do, especially they love um, In the Garden. They all know that song, but that's a that's a kind of a holy song, so I won't put that on here right now for you. But um, that why one, not? We'll just sing a few know. bars. You don't not with the guitar. Yeah, just right not into the, the phone. Guitar? Yeah, just how does okay. that go? I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own 
and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Oh. It's nice in a way to think about God's company right now. So many of us are isolated, you know. That's right. That's right. You, and they always like the, the chorus on that. That's the part they all sing along, you know, and he walks with me. Sometimes I, I make a little joke. Is it okay to tell you the joke I tell them sometimes? It, it kind of makes them laugh. Definitely. Um, a little boy was in, in church, and he says, I know the name of God. And they said, you do? Yes. His name is Andy. And, I, and they said, how do you know his name is Andy? Andy walks with me. <laughs> I couldn't read this. <laughs> Andy. All right. Yeah, Andy. His name is Andy. I want to note that you are 76 yourself. So this physical distancing thing is also important for your own health. Uh, yes. You've been performing, though, in front of live audiences for more than half a century. How did you get your start as a pick and Peggy? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll tell you, my my cowboy poet friend, who is since long gone now, Ray Lashley, he named me PPP, Pretty Pick and Peggy. So that's where it came from. <laughs> and cowboy poetry is something else you're involved in. It's, it's the sort of... Uh... Yes, with the museum. Yes. Now, I assume you're talking about the Museum of Western Colorado. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. I understand you come from a, quite a musical family. Yes. Actually, my own daughter just got off Broadway as Molly Brown, oh, wow. as Malone. And going back a few years, the Glenn Miller band, my second cousin, Jerry Gray, wrote String of Pearls and Pennsylvania 65000. Wow. So music is in the blood. Pennsylvania 65000. Your mom was musical too? Oh, yeah. She just sang around the house and... Just was a great, great mother, great influence, and uh, you would have loved her. I used to get her up, up on my jobs in Denver when I worked in the lounges, and she would bring the house down because she'd sing half in Italian and half in English. <laughs> oh wow! You performed at Denver's version of the Grand Ole Opry. It was called the Rocky Mountain Jamboree. Your nickname on that show was the little girl with the big voice. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's where I really got my start, even though I, I did sing down in Texas one time. But uh, my true start was at the Rocky Mountain Jamboree, and it gave me good singing legs under me. I got to oh, sing along with Tom T. Hall and all these big stars that would come through. So it was great. How do you feel about that line, the little girl with the big voice? I don't know if that would fly today. People still say that, but I always say, I'm glad you said it was the voice that's big. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's you, a joke. I got it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. They introduce me like that, you know, sometimes, and I'll whack myself someplace and say, well, glad you said it was my voice. <laughs> uh-huh. You performed in the 70s and 80s at Denver hotels and nightclubs during the stock show. Now, oh, yes. along with your many nursing home gigs, you're a regular, as we said, on the cowboy poetry circuit. And so I want to know what the secret is to your energy. I mean, especially in trying times like this. Well, music really does help the soul and the mind. And that's what keeps me going. 
And my husband has always, always encouraged me to get out there and sing my lungs out, which I do. Hmm. You call your liveliest tunes chair dance and music because, you know, they, they get people moving in their seats. Maybe sing us out with a bit of one of your chair dancing songs. I'd love something with a yodel in it. I hear you have a mean yodel, Peggy Malone. Ooh, can I play the guitar in this one, do you think? Well, it's just so hard. It's it's almost inaudible oh, at that point. It, it's hard. Okay, yeah. you know what? I will, I will sing the song that I wrote called... Do you think they yodel in heaven? And it is, it's a fun song because I got to thinking about old Roy Rogers and Gene Autry sitting around a campfire, and I wonder if they're yodeling up there. So here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Do you think they yodel in heaven? Do you think they yodel on high? Hey, do you think they yodel in heaven? Well, up in the sweet by and by. I can just see old St. Peter standing with his harp in his hand. But I ain't going through them pearly gates if I don't hear a good western band. It goes on and on and on. (laughs) Peggy Millon, this has been a delight. And thanks for joining us from your bathroom in Fruta. (laughs) Thank you. Matter of fact, I think I will record a couple of songs right now for my nursing home bunch and put it on Facebook. Well, you're all warmed up. It sounds like a good idea to me. I'm warmed up. <laughs> when you're hot, you're hot. <laughs> Thanks, Peggy. When you're not, you're not. Take good care and stay healthy. Thank you. I hope I didn't drive you crazy too much. Some joy, courtesy of Pickin' Peggy Malone. She joined us from her bathroom in Fruta, Colorado, where she's been performing remotely for residents of nursing homes who are on lockdown. Let's hear now from an emergency physician, one who's also chair of emergency medicine at the University of Colorado. Dr. Richard Zane took a moment during his shift at UC Hospital this morning to update us on COVID-19. Dr. Zane, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. What has the ER been like this week? Well, ironically, volumes, and this is true across the United States, are pretty low. So we've had a significant decrease in the total number of patients who are coming seeking emergency care every day. But every single day, we have an increase in the proportion of patients who are coming with acute respiratory distress, a severe respiratory illness, who require resuscitative procedures for respiratory distress and respiratory extremis. Uh, When you say procedures, you're talking about ventilators there? Yeah, intubation, uh, which is putting in a breathing tube and then uh, hooking a patient up to a ventilator. How many COVID-19 or suspected COVID-19 patients would you say are at the University of Colorado Hospital right now? Just under 100. And are they in a kind of separate place in the hospital? Just describe the scene for me. Well, the emergency department is, is a large traditional emergency department, and we try and cohort patients who are suspected of having COVID-19. When patients are admitted to an intensive care unit, Uh, which is about 
you know, 25 or so percent of the patients who require admission are higher uh, than they are cohorted together in a part or in a separate intensive care unit. And the same is true for patients who are admitted to the hospital. Uh, we try and put them in the same part of the hospital together, so cohorted in a unit. What is the general profile of the of the patients? Um, so you say there are about 100 of them. Is it a wide variety of ages, as we have heard in other hospitals? For, for example, at Denver Health, we heard there are quite a number of young people. Yeah, we're seeing the full gamut. Of course, as you would have read or have heard before, most people who have severe illness are older or have comorbidities. But we have patients that run the gamut. We don't take care of children here, uh, but we have young adults all the way to the elderly, all with uh, severe disease. So contrary to initial belief, this disease most assuredly affects young people. You use the term comorbidity, what many of us know as underlying health conditions or other health conditions in addition to COVID-19. So is this... uh, it sounds quite intense, but is it actually the calm before the storm? Do you expect the, the patient population with the disease or suspected of having the disease to grow much more? So that is the question of the hour. Is Has public distancing or social distancing had an effect in Colorado? And we are calling this our slow-vid period because it's slow and it's all COVID. Slow-vid, okay. And and it's almost like the, uh, the calm before the storm. There's an eerie feeling like, what is coming next? Are we simply at the base of the wave? And we believe we're at the base of some wave. Uh, we just don't know how big that wave is. Mm. Uh, but we believe there will surely be a wave. How well are the patients there responding to treatment? For the most part, people do better with oxygen. You know, there is no treatment. The only treatment is supportive care. That's right. So patients who don't have enough oxygen or can't get oxygen to their blood, we give them oxygen. Patients who can't breathe for themselves, we breathe for them. And that's really the treatment. And then we let the body get better on its own. And most patients are responding to treatment. And then there are a minority who are not responding to treatment. Uh, What we've noticed for patients who require ventilators is that compared to other diseases that require ventilators, patients with COVID require ventilators for a much longer period of time, which has certainly changed our understanding of our resources for ventilators. Speaking of resources, how, how are they? Uh, how are your, for lack of a better term, your own stockpiles of masks, of ventilators, and other PPE, personal protective equipment? Well, you know, for today, we're fine. Uh, the ICUs are getting full. We're admitting more patients to the hospital. We certainly emptied the hospital in anticipation of this to create more room. I would say of the top 10 things I would want more of, the top 10 are going to be all ventilators. We are desperate for more ventilators, depending on whose modeling you look at. If you look at the governor's model, we need a lot more ventilators than we currently have than there are in this state. That's not... Mincing words to say you're desperate for them. Just say a few more words about that. Well, you know, the treatment for severely ill patients is to support their breathing. Ventilators are the machine that helps us support their breathing, um, and those are the machines that we need. So right now, according to anybody's um, modeling, we do not have enough of these machines to take care of the patients whom we're going to be asked to care for. 
So we're going through some pretty intense machinations on what we can do without. And sometimes we're thinking about, can we use one ventilator for two people? Mm-hmm. Can we use an anesthesia machine, which can function as a ventilator for certain types of people? Can we use the ventilators that we usually use to transport patients from one place to another in a more permanent way? We are beating the bushes and beating the sky and calling every single politician that will take our call uh, that we need more ventilators. Have you seen on TV, Governor Cuomo in New York has certainly been loud and clear about his need for ventilators, and it looks like he's gotten a lot of ventilators. We need that. I wonder uh, about people who, even in the time of COVID-19, break legs and have car accidents or maybe gunshot wounds. Uh, It's interesting that at least some of the normal emergency department care continues, though you say that has dipped. Are those people at greater risk of catching COVID-19 by simply coming to the hospital for other reasons? I I think of women giving birth, you know, all of these things. Yeah, those are great questions. And regular care still happens. People still have heart attacks. People still have cancer. People still get in car accidents. Regular care happens. Although I would say the opposite is true, where what we have seen is that patients who come in for ostensibly unrelated reasons, unrelated to COVID-19, end up having COVID-19. So we take great pains to make sure that patients are not exposed to COVID-19. And if you come here uh, with an unrelated condition, I'm very confident in our ability to keep you safe. But what we have found is that patients who come in with car accidents, who come in having a baby, who come in with other conditions, many of them end up having COVID-19 from prior to coming in. My goodness. Okay. That's a... Not a lovely surprise when you're already not having a great day and in the emergency department or at the hospital, I suppose. Could you leave us with what has given you hope this week? What has given me hope is I believe that Coloradans are paying attention to physical distancing and have paid attention. And if they have not, it's going to be an incredibly difficult spring. And if they have, I think we'll get through it. Thank you, sir. And good luck to you. Thank you. Dr. Richard Zane, Chair of Emergency Medicine at CU and Executive Director of Emergency Services at UC Health. And Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour with a new nightly ritual for a pandemic. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News. News about the coronavirus changes daily. And every day, CPR and NPR bring you reliable, up-to-date information, facts, and advice. News about what's happening in your state. You have access to this important coverage thanks to the generosity of members who continue to make voluntary donations. Join them. Give to CPR for yourself and for the benefit of the thousands of listeners who rely on Colorado Public Radio every day at CPR.org. Have you heard people hooting and hollering at a certain time each night? That is a compilation from Wednesday as Coloradans opened their windows to clap, cheer, and howl. So what's going on? Well, it's a combination of two new nightly rituals, 
One, to honor health care workers. The other, to relieve stress. I first heard about the Solidarity at Eight uh, movement from a friend who was trying to arrange a phone call with some friends in Europe, and they said, oh, wait, um, we can't do it at eight. We have to do the clapping thing. That's Jamie Laurie, also known as Johnny Five from the Denver hip-hop band Flowbots. The clapping thing he refers to is the nightly European ritual of stepping onto balconies and cheering for medical staff who are fighting COVID-19. Laurie wondered if anyone was doing this in Colorado, and when he couldn't find a movement here, he decided to spread the word himself. Solidarity at eight is catching on. This past Wednesday, some Denver apartment complexes asked their tenants to participate. Laurie hopes more people will cheer each night so heroes in scrubs will know they're supported. Going out every night on the balcony and giving a standing ovation to people who are putting themselves at risk is like the bare minimum. And uh, to me, it just is a way of saying, like, we stand with you and uh, we support you and let us know what you need. Now remember, one of the best ways to support healthcare workers is to protect them by staying at home and maintaining physical distance. So Solidarity Date is no exception to that. Now, what about the howling we heard earlier? That is the result of a Facebook group started by Coloradans Bryce Mayuro and Chelsea Ochoa. The couple wanted some stress relief after a day cooped up at home, and the idea caught on to howl. That group now has almost 230,000 members. Meanwhile, in Pueblo, it's a quieter affair. At eight each night, people are shining flashlights up at the sky and posting images to social media with the hashtag Pueblo Shines. With millions of Coloradans under a stay-at-home order, entertainment, heck, even meditation, may come in the form of plant life, be it gardens, yards, or house plants. We know that many of you are digging in the dirt and, as a result, adding some brightness to the world. And the reason we know this is because questions flooded in this time for CSU Extension Master Gardener Lonnie Godet, who joins us regularly and she's on the line from her home in Berthoud, Colorado, with a pandemic version of our gardening segment. And Lonnie, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be back. I'm curious what you've been up to while you're staying at home. Well, I'm very fortunate that I can work from home, so a good part of my day is taken up by work. And I have started vegetable seeds this year um, because, first of all, I have the time, which is really nice. I didn't have any time to do that last year. And because it also provides me a bit of peace and sanity, if I'm feeling anxious about, oh, I don't know, just being stuck in the house or even food security. You know, this first couple of weeks have been a bit rough trying to get groceries. And so I started thinking about, well, I should grow some groceries myself. Mm. And that makes me feel a little more empowered and a little better about the situation. At a time when so many of us feel powerless, I wonder what vegetables you're starting. What are you thinking of growing? Well, I've already got starts going for the tomatoes and the bell peppers because they take such a long time to get to a point where I'd want to put them outdoors anyway. I like them to be pretty good sized. But I've also got a lot of cool season vegetables, lettuce, uh, arugula, spinach, um, I've also got some cabbages started indoors and some broccolis. What sorts of tomatoes? I'm curious. Well, I'm growing my favorite, Piglet Willie's French Black, so I'm very excited about that. 
And I have what I call question mark number two. Back when the old Rocky Mountain Seed Company went out of business, I went down there and purchased seeds, but they were in bulk and I didn't know what they were. Huh. All I know is I know all I know is that they are delicious cherry tomatoes and they're incredibly prolific. So I call them question mark number twos and the world may never know what they are. I see. They're sort of grab bag tomatoes. What was the name of the first varietal? Piglet Willie's French Black. Piglet Willie's French Black. Okay. Yes. And it's it's kind of a hard one to find by seed, but it is well worth the effort. My friend Elaine introduced it to me and Everyone I've ever given one to has said this is an amazing, delicious tomato. So it's one of my favorites. I've grown it several years now. Um, I did not grow the sweet tangerines, which I truly love and which grow so beautifully. I decided since I've had them every year for the last three years, I would go back to a couple old favorites. So on top of the piglet willies and the question number two, I um, had some old seeds from Carmelo, which is a, a lovely tomato. And also for the... Um, Oh, goodness. What is the name of that? Can't think of it right now. Well, that's Sorry, okay. Really I'll think of it later. You're, you're entitled to have brain lapses on live radio. It's just fine. Speaking, it, speaking of getting seeds started, listener uh, Karen, Joe, and Yellow of Trinidad, Colorado, wonders if nurseries are essential businesses or not. She says if we're going to be making victory gardens, nurseries should be open. What have you found? Well... A lot of us consider nurseries essential because they're essential for our mental health, but we have to look at our regulations in our individual areas. What I have found in my area, though, is that several of our nurseries are offering online ordering or over-the-phone ordering and then curbside pickup. And this has been helpful for me. I have someone at home who's immune-compromised, so we're being very, very careful. Mm. And... I have gone and picked up seed starting material, and I know that when it comes time to buy plants that I don't have seeds for, that I'll go and pick them up from an online sale. So call your local nursery. I don't know that the box stores are going to have this available, but you know a lot of the local nurseries are, but call them first. We called a few garden centers ourselves, and we can confirm your assessment. The ones staying open are doing so under an agricultural exemption in the stay-at-home order. Um, of course, if you do go in, we encourage you to be mindful of physical distancing. And as you said, mm-hmm. there's there's some curbside availability. Okay, our next question expands on the idea of how to sate your gardening needs during the stay-at-home order. It comes from a voice you might recognize on local TV. Hi, my name is Amelia Earhart, and I live in Denver, Colorado. Lately, I've been seeing a lot of Instagram ads for online companies that ship really beautiful and unique houseplants that can be hard to find in stores. And I'm curious if you have any sites that you can recommend, and I'm also curious if they arrive unharmed and in great shape. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, especially at this time when we're trying to avoid going into stores. So there are a lot of online plant sales, and I've never ordered house plants online. I've only ordered landscape plants online. And I've been fortunate. They've all come in in great shape. Um, What I would suggest is looking at their website, looking at their shipping options, uh, maybe even calling them and asking, you know, what if we have a freeze? Can you hold my shipment back for a few days? Because, you know, we're at that time of year where freezes can happen and you certainly wouldn't want a tropical house plant 
on a UPS truck that wasn't heated. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be very bad. And also look at their return and refund policies, because if something bad happens in transit, maybe they have a policy that would be helpful. But for the most part, I've had very good luck buying plants and having them shipped to me. Um, I would suggest, though, that you also think about, you know, if you're if you're buying these plants, make sure they're not something that could be invasive here in Colorado. So if it's something you, you know, that's truly a house plant, that shouldn't be a problem. Oh, that's very thoughtful, Lonnie. Okay, seed starting isn't just for vegetables, of course. At Senverdami tweets, what's the best way to start petunias indoors with seeds? Well, I start them just like I do my vegetables, honestly. They're a warm season plant. They like those hotter temperatures. And for all of my seed starting, I use a seedling mat, which is a little heating mat. It has a range of temperature that it keeps the the seeds at, and it goes underneath your seed trays. And then you would just seed them out in your starting material. And I like to get a good seed starting material from my local garden center. Uh, they, They drain better. They keep the moisture about the right level for the seeds as long as you're watching them carefully. And then you would have to have a good source of light. So if you don't have one of those south-facing windows that gets light most of the day, you're going to have to supplement the light. Mm. I use fluorescence. Uh, Some people use like a grow light, but the grow lights can get pretty hot. So I prefer fluorescent myself. And you want to be able to adjust the, the height of the light so that it can get further away from the plants as the plants get larger. And basically treat them like a vegetable. Treat them like a vegetable. Several listeners sent in questions about houseplants that aren't faring well, and they included photos. This is Sarah Brandenburg from Denver, and my question is about my 10-year-old cactus. I've never repotted or added soil to this plant because I have always been told not to disrupt the balance of a cactus. Now a portion of the plant looks to be dead. Should I remove that part or just let it be? I don't want to make any drastic changes that will have any negative effect on my very old and very dear plant. Thanks. So looking at this photo, this is an adorable cactus. It really is. And it's planted in the perfect size pot. It's not too big. It's not too small. What I will say is that you can see the top portion of growth on the plant is stretching. And this is called etiolation. It happens when the plant is not getting quite enough light. So the a cactus like this starts growing a more narrow shoot off of it. You can mm. think about it trying to reach the light. Will you say the word one and more that, time? Et, what was it? Etiolation? It's etiolation. Etiolation. Okay. Uh-huh. And I wonder, I can't see the small parts that she has described as dying off on the back side of the plant, because they're on the back side of the picture. Um, but I wonder if it couldn't be due to a lack of sufficient light, so the plant didn't have enough energy to keep these parts alive. Um, it also could be a little bit of overwatering, although the plant overall looks fairly healthy, other than just that little bit of stretching for light. So it's hard for me to say why those parts died. What I would say with cactus is that you could probably let them just dry off until they fall off themselves, and then you can take them out and, you know, carefully dig them out, maybe with a pair of kitchen tongs, and wrap them up in some newspaper and then put them in the garbage so nobody else gets their hands stuck on them. Um, Yeah, and as far as the basic maintenance of this cactus, like I say, the the pot size looks great, and they do like to be a little bit pot-bound when they are in containers, and they should only be repotted as needed. 
And for me, when I look at a cactus, as long as it's not so heavy that it's going to tip the pot over, I consider that to be a pretty good size pot for the cactus. Oh, that's a great way to measure it. So they do like to be snug in there. They they do. And when you replant them, you don't want to put them in a really big pot because the soil could hold a lot of moisture without having a lot of roots in it. So you want to just pop them up to one size bigger every time you do it, which shouldn't be, but every couple of years or every, sorry, couple of years, more like 10 to 20 years. Okay. In the decades. Yeah. Uh, Another listener whose Twitter handle is like way too many characters to attempt on the radio, uh, tweeted a photo of a cactus and asked, what should I do about the white spots that are working their way up this cactus? Uh, Lonnie, we also shared this photo with you. Do you know what's going on? There's a couple of things that it could be, and it's hard to tell in the photo. It could be either scale or mealybugs, which are both types of insects, or it could be what they call cactus scabs or corky scabs, and these can be the result of a bit of overwatering, or maybe the temperature got low in the house. Maybe they went on vacation during the winter and and turned the thermostat down a bit, Um, but they are superficial if they are the corky scabs, and they don't really affect anything about the plant other than its appearance. Oh, good news. But to tell, yeah, yeah, that's good news. But let's find out if it's insects or not. So if you take a, a wet cotton swab and you try and remove the, the white spots, if they come off pretty easily, then most likely they are either scale or mealybugs. Mealybugs are typically fuzzy and scale may or may not be fuzzy. And if that's what it is, then you can wash these insects off using a really strong stream of water. Once it gets warmer outside, take the plant outside. You want to cover the soil with a sheet of plastic so you don't overwater the plant and you don't you know, blow out all of your, um, your soil there. But you can take a strong stream of water and blast these insects off the plant. Or you could use a cotton swab dipped in rubbing alcohol to remove the insects individually, which... That would be that would take a bit of time on this plant, but um, we don't want these on our plant. But there are some really interesting. There's a cactus insect called a cochineal insect that is used to make carmine red pigment. And if it's it shouldn't be that on this particular type of cactus, but if it were that, then it would smear as you rub them off with a cotton swab and be bright, bright red. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nature for dyes. Nature is amazing. Why don't we continue our discussion and answering your questions with our master gardener from CSU, Lonnie Godet of Berthoud. We'll be back in a moment. More houseplant questions. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Turn off the news and build a garden. Just my neighborhood and me. We might feel a bit less hard. We might feel a bit more free. Turn off the news and raise the kids. Give them something to believe in. Teach them how to be good people. Give them hope that they can see. The coronavirus has turned life on its head. And we're here to help you handle it. Hey, I'm Sam Brash. And I'm May Ortega. And we have a new podcast full of ideas for how to live during these strange times. It's called At a Distance. Sometimes it'll be serious. Sometimes it'll be fun. And every time you'll get useful tips and tools about how not just to survive, but maybe even thrive. At a Distance, your guide to life in a pandemic. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and many of you see tending to plant life as therapy right now, especially as we are 
told to stay at home. So we have a special pandemic version of our regular gardening segment with Lonnie Godet, CSU Master Gardener. Lonnie, another listener now with houseplant problems. Hi, I'm Michelle Goss, and I live in Parker, Colorado. I have a tropical plant that seems to be packed in a soil that's made entirely of mulch. I've been reluctant to replant it, as I've only had it for a few months, and I don't want to shock it. Is this mulch soil doing the plant any good? Water seems to run right through it, and it's just not very happy. Well, this is interesting. I've got the photograph, and on first look, I would say that it is an overwatering issue. But the fact that the water runs right through it is a little contrary to that. Um, I will say that those mulch-type potting medias are really easy to maintain plants in while they're in a nursery because typically they get watered every single day and they want that good drainage. But at home, they don't work quite as well because they don't retain enough water in between waterings. Um, Other problems that could have happened with this plant if it was placed near a heat register or like a, a space heater, it could be exposure to hot, dry air that would create that for the listeners, this plant is showing brown tips and brown edges to the leaves. And um, it's kind of hard to say, but I would not worry so much about disturbing it. I would go ahead and repot it. I'd, you know, if you have a good potting soil around the house, I'd go ahead and pull the plant out. It may be root bound as well, which it's kind of, interesting roots actually shed water very well so if the media around them doesn't hold the water for them to take it up they just drain it right off themselves so you Mm. really do need a good potting media one that both holds a little water and drains well Since, since we're staying inside a lot right now here's one more question on indoor plant care Hi, my name's Christina Kulik from Colorado Springs, and my question is, would now be a good time to start fertilizing my indoor plants? And also, any tips for getting orchids to rebloom? Thanks. Well, now is a perfect time to fertilize your indoor plants. They're just starting to put on some new growth, and it's a great time to get started for your summer fertilization schedule. Okay. Uh, you want to fertilize regularly during the growing season and then not during the winter time. Um, and then orchids. So they're such cool plants. I've not really grown them at home, but I did look through CSU's tips for growing orchids. And for rebloom, they need to have bright indirect light. So if you're if you have them in a really bright room, that should be enough to get them to rebloom. And sometimes it's just a matter of timing that they, they have a season where they bloom, just like a lot of other plants, and you just have to wait for that season. But make sure they have enough light. Make sure they have enough light. That's been something of a thread here, especially with cacti we heard about yeah. earlier. Yeah. Why don't... And, and you want to make sure, too, uh, real quick... Um, Plants can sunburn, just like people. Mm. And so if you put these plants in direct sunlight, oftentimes you will see even more damage. So when I say bright light, I'm talking about bright light. They might get a little bit of direct sun during the day, but for the most part, keep them out of the direct sun so they don't sunburn. All right. Why don't we head outside? Now, we've addressed a lot of houseplant questions. want to go to a listener whose yard is a blank slate. My name is Olivia Hamblin from Denver, and I'm curious if you have any advice on how to start a xeriscaped lawn. 
All right. So Xeriscape is is the idea of something that doesn't require a lot of water given our climate. And so the notion of a traditional kind of East Coast green grass lawn is is what you're trying to avoid. And it sounds like what Olivia is trying to avoid. Okay. Well, going by that, I always start by looking at books and websites that are specific to our area. So going to CSU's website, we have some great documents on Xeriscape plant selections and how to set up a Xeriscape lawn. Also, Denver Water, their website has some really good suggestions. They have some pre-planned gardens. The Plant Select program also has some pre-planned gardens that are very helpful. So that's where I would start. The other place, I would go visit Kendrick Lakes Park in Littleton. They have a little garden, and that would be on the southeast side of the park. And it is a gem of a Xeric garden. It's absolutely beautiful, all four seasons of the year. It's very fascinating. And while we're allowed to get outside and get some exercise, so taking a little walk around that park, if you can stay away from people, would be a great, great option to get some ideas. And then remember to research your plants because you don't want to plant something that you're going to have to tear out in a few years because it got too big. And then think about how much time you want to spend maintaining your garden because if you plant a lot of small perennials, you may end up doing a lot of weeding and maintenance work, but using some well-placed shrubs can really reduce your maintenance time significantly. So uh, you can also start searching for a few beautiful rocks or pieces of driftwood or art that will help add structure to your Mm. garden. And you can start doing that now. You can be looking online or you know, looking outside once we're able to get out and about again. Um, and that's that's where I would start. I am just looking at the gardens at Kendrick Lake in Lakewood and th- the images of the Zurich landscape. It's just, just stunning. Wow. Okay. Uh, Olivia. It, it is one of the most beautiful little gardens in the whole front range. Olivia has a question about a common urban problem, too. What are some of the best ways to detract squirrels in an urban garden? Squirrels. That is a tough one because they, they are so ubiquitous. They're, and we've got a lot of people who like to feed them. They really enjoy watching them. Um, talking with your neighbors and seeing if you can discourage them from feeding them is one way to make your yard less attractive to them. But really with squirrels, the best option is to use some kind of exclusion to keep them out of your valuable plants. So using wire mesh, it's not attractive, but it's kind of the best option we have. Um, You are allowed to trap and move them, but it's under very specific conditions, and you'd have to look at the rules in your area. Um, But the problem with that, too, is that more will just move in if your neighbors are feeding them. (laughs) <laughs> There's there not need, a great answer. I know. There I'm needs sorry. to be consistency, though, across a neighborhood. That's interesting. Yes. Okay, let's spend the last few moments in a segment we call Trust or Bust about gardening myths or gardening truths. Trust or Bust, I heard it's a good idea to lay down old newspaper or cardboard in your garden to keep the weeds down. I'd really love to bust this myth. This is one that makes me crazy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Using these layers of, now I'm talking about in a landscape specifically, I also don't really like these in vegetable gardens. I think a regular layer of mulch, like a wood chip mulch or a a gravel 
gravel, small gravel mulch on a, a xeric garden is much better. But the problem with using these layers of newspaper or cardboard is that they create a real problem for your underlying soil. They restrict water and gas transfer between the soil and the atmosphere. So when it rains, the water tends to run right off the top of these, these layers, and you end up watering around the edges where the water can get back to the soil, and that's typically where the weeds are. Mm. Also, they reduce oxygen transport between the soil and the atmosphere, and this is really important. We know that plants take in carbon dioxide. They, uh, sorry, yeah, carbon dioxide, they um, exhale oxygen, but the roots need oxygen. So when you put these layers down and you reduce that oxygen transport and diffusion into the soil, then you reduce the amount of oxygen that the roots can have. Got it. Lonnie, I'm going to have to stop you there. I'm so sorry. My goodness, always more questions than time, but it's why we'll have you back on again. That's CSU Master Gardener Lonnie Godet of Berthoud, who joins us seasonally to answer your questions. And we'll be back again. Finally today, an unveiling. Colorado Matters has a new logo. You can see it with microphones and talking quotes in our Twitter feed at Colorado Matters and at CPR.org slash coloring matters. In both those places, you'll also see three rather plain versions of the logo. Those are for you to print and color. There's a beginner's version, an intermediate, and an advanced. We're encouraging kids of all ages who may be bored and stuck at home to brighten them up. Then scan or take a picture of your creation and email it to coloradomatters at cpr.org. We'll share our favorites with the audience on our digital platforms. It's a Colorado Matters coloring project to celebrate our new logo. I'm Ryan Warner. Thanks for spending time with us. You're tuned to CPR News.